My mama would say, you gotta fight for what is right. To her, I would say, I wanna give back the world some light. Mm-hmm. But it's an empty road. I feel so. no doubt that we're heading into a pretty crazy time. And I'm getting some reports from people at people I trust from kind of the circles I used to run with that things are gaining are looking increasingly a little bit crazy for this fall. And it's really going to be a difference between those who are anchored solidly in the relationship with Christ versus those that aren't because things are going to get bumpy. And there's really no way through this otherwise. And just so I say it, I don't think there's going to be a 2024 election. I think that's a bunch of nonsense. I think that's kind of where we're headed. And I think that 
we're going to see something happen here pretty in the not too distant future. But we'll talk all about that in a minute. One thing I do want you to really consider is the importance of preserving your retirement wealth. That's a bumpy road ahead and and those are hard earned dollars. And so if you're in a 401k and IRA, it's important to get those out into something precious metals backed, in my opinion. Remember, I'm not an investment advisor. I don't wear a white coat. I don't even like white coats. And I don't play anything on TV. I'm just a guy here. But I do care about people's wealth. And so the folks at Birch Gold have a pretty good run on what, what's good for you. They're a good company. I'm really honored to have them here as part of this channel. So if you'll text 989898, 989898, but you text BARDS to that number. Don't just text that number. you got to put BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, and then text BARDS to 989898. And when you do that, you're going to get a link for a free info kit. Take a look at that and go through it. It gives you a lot of ideas and some good thoughts on how to handle a precious metals-backed IRA or retirement account. And they're great people that will guide you through it. So again, text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898. We really have to be ready for a lot of unexpected stuff right now. Don't really know where it's coming, where it's going, other than the fact that we've got to go through some crazy before things get better. And that's always like one of those things I laugh at. It's like, oh, how much how crazier can we get? It will get a little crazier, no doubt. So again, BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, text that wonderful promo code to 989898 and Birch Gold will send you what you need. I'm going to begin today with um, a piece I played earlier on the, on the Bended Knee Show. And it's an amazing testimony. And this is all about a guy who was teaching about Jesus in China. And he, we're kind of picking up right in the middle there where he, he's talking about the length of the days of how, how long his days of teaching were. But he gets into the real risks and everything, and it's a great testimony. Some of you have heard it, but I think it's really important to hear it tonight as we kind of look forward to where things are going. So take a listen to this. And then when you teach in China, you start at 8 in the morning, and you don't get done till 5 at night. You teach the whole day. They were sitting there, all 22 of them, and I looked around and I said, now, if we get caught, what will happen to me? They said, oh, you'll get deported in 24 hours and we'll go to prison for three years. I said, you're kidding. How many of you have been in prison for your faith? Out of 22, 18 raised their hands. I thought, no way. I looked at them and I said, you you 22 people, how many people do you oversee? Because they were all of these small group leaders, underground church leaders in the Hunan province. I said, how many, if you counted up all the people under your jurisdiction, how many would it be? And they counted them up. And they said, little over 20 million. I said, what? See, we forget there's 1.3 billion people in China. This is crazy. Well, I had 15 Bibles and I passed them out. Obviously, seven didn't get them. And I said, let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 1 and we're going to read it. And just then, one lady handed hers to somebody next to her. And I thought, hmm, interesting. Well, we turned there anyway, and as we started reading it, I understood why she gave it away. She had memorized the whole thing. She just recited the whole chapter. When it was done, I went over to her at a break, and I said, 
you, you, you recited the whole chapter. She says, oh yes, I've memorized many chapters. I said, where did you memorize many chapters? She said, in prison. I said, you have much time in prison. So I said, but don't they confiscate the Bible? And she said, yes. So people bring in scriptures written on pieces of paper and they bring it in. So I said, but then if they find that piece of paper on you, won't they confiscate that? She said, oh yes, that's why you memorize it as fast as you can. Because even though they can take the paper away, they can't take what's hidden in your heart. And I thought, wow. Well, after three days, you fall in love with these people. And when it was done, I said, how can I pray for you? I'm going to go back to America. You guys have been just so wonderful. How can I pray for you? They said, you know, Wayne, you guys can gather like this whenever you want to in America. We can't. Could you pray that one day we'll be just like you? And I looked at him and I said, I will not do that. Big incredulous eyes looked at me and they said, why? <laughs> I said, because you guys rode a train for 13 hours to get here. In my country, if you've got to drive more than an hour, people don't come. You sat on a wooden floor for three days. In my country, if people have to sit more than 40 minutes, they leave. You sat not only here for three days on a hard wooden floor, but you did it without air conditioning. In my country, if it's not padded pews and air conditioning, people don't often come back. In my country, we have an average of two Bibles per family. We don't read any of them. You hardly have any Bibles, and you memorize them from pieces of paper. I will not pray that we become like, uh, you become like us, but I will pray that we become just like you. Very powerful testimony. And it's a deep reflection. I, I came across this. It's not new, but I came across it again last night. And it's, it chokes me up every time that he sits in and says, no, I will not pray for you to be like us. It's such a deep statement as to the place that we are in this nation. And it's a time that we have an opportunity to take that position back, essentially take the high ground back on this. So I got a call today from a person I trust immensely. And... Um, what he said is, is very typical of the type of circles that I've worked in before. You, you get reports of, from various intel sources and you consolidate information and you, you give an assessment on the percentage of possibilities. And the reason is you do this is to kind of give yourself a ready-go mentality, an idea that something is probably coming, but you're always you're never committing 100% because, but you are at least in the position to say, Strong, strong probability of the winds changing. There's times when that ready-go gets to 95% or even 100%, and it's that's full game on then. But this was a 75% possibility. And this is what it was said. So I say this because I'm, I'm not making sure that we're not going too far off the rails on this, but... Let me, even before I start this, let me just lay out some context here. I didn't need this 
to tell me this was the direction we were going. In the confirmations of the way that I do analysis and patterns and trends, especially with narratives and the way people are acting, I would say that this is probably greater than a 75%. But I think 75% is safe because there's always the variables of what's the unknown and we don't know the future. But nonetheless, in the events of what we're looking at across the globe right now, what's happened with Lahaina has shaken the world, and it's continuing to. What's going on, this, this clown show that's going on with President Trump has got many people that were asleep asking questions about their political institutions. We've had the Jim Caviezel and the issues of child sex trafficking, which haven't gone away, and we considered continue to see that narrative surface and percolate up. We have the financial issues and the realities of the CBDC. And now we're back to COVID stupid and watching all the people that are going to willfully abide to this. That's a tragedy in, this, in effect of people that are so broken that they're literally going to follow the COVID con again. Because without it, they don't feel safe. Without it, they don't feel they have purpose. And the worst part about it is with it, they feel they have authority. So this is going to get a little bumpy going ahead. But the conversation I had went something like this. And it was this, that on the, around September 15th, we can expect to see COVID lockdowns go straight up crazy. They're going to go hard, try to go to hard lockdowns. And then they're going to try to push towards a measure of mandatory injections again, that there will be some disturbances and uprisings that will happen in several cities, that they'll have to go into a form of martial law, regional and localized, and which will probably mean more, it'll come across as curfews. And then there will be an attempt to roll out the CBDC to force people into that trap. That'll probably happen, I mean, something like the bank card stop working, and people start panicking. About three days later, the trap is set and people start being sucked into the CBDC. And then from that, what I was told, and, and the interesting thing about this is I was stressed at the very beginning, do not think that this is Q stuff. And I, I no problem. I'm listening. And these are good sources. But this was a, a situation where the probability is high in this model that there would be a counter response, which we don't know where it would come from, but this, I've heard this enough now, that then would go into a period of about 90 days in the United States where we would have be pretty much locked down locally and regionally, not allowed to move much as there was a significant, um, I would say, we like to say arrest, but I would add ground fight would probably be real to root out the evil that has come here. And so I, I shared this with somebody, and the first thing they said to me is like, well, what about Bard's Fest? That falls right in the middle. And I said, what about it? Like, well, aren't you worried? And I said, no. Why should I be? God hasn't told me that there's anything to worry about. The world could be burning down, and I'll still walk through that fire if God tells me to do so. And I think that's the real key here to this whole thing is that in the midst of adversity, which is we are in a tumultuous time, and no one can deny that regardless of that projection that was given to me today. And again, very trusted, very solid, very solid type assessment that someone would give saying, you know, 75% possibility. 
And if it happens, we'll start to make new contingency plans, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. I got all that. But the most important point of this, and this is the world, first of all, I'm accustomed to working with because it's not emotional. It's not all getting your panties in a wad because someone says it and now you got to make memes about it and start calling everybody and everybody goes through a buying panic. At this point in time, everybody should be on a pretty solid footing on many levels. For three years, we've been talking about county by county. For three years, we've been talking about this point in time when things would literally come to a head. And we're there. I mean, and, and honestly, it's gone longer than three years, but we're, we're at that point now. We're at a point now that you cannot deny that the amount of information flowing up for truth and people waking, waking up to what this nonsense is, is truly heading, coming to a peak that will erupt at one point or another. If it's this fall or next spring, I have been projecting next spring, maybe it's fall, doesn't matter, but there's a, there is a, a moment in time that the kettle will boil over and we're getting there closer each and every day. The level of evil in this country, the level of rancer, the level of incredible, I guess, corruption and, and treason is, is beyond measure. And, I, and it's a surprise to so many. But I'm also seeing some amazing awakenings in communities that are slow to awaken, surprisingly, for you perhaps, but good reason for it. And those are the communities of special operations. In fact, I received a, a message was shared with me today of somebody who I'm hoping to get on the show. But it's really profound testimony of just coming to the sudden realization, and this is somebody that's on, in the special operations community, it has a sudden and very powerful realization that pretty much everything is corrupted and evil. And then the, the follow-on with this, was, which was so amazing, is I am now realizing evil exists in the purest of form, and so therefore I'm opening up the Bible again to get to know Jesus. See, there, there's the incredible moment. Is that This reminds me a lot of the early days of Q, when the Anons would talk about this and say, I've proven evil exists, therefore good must exist, therefore I need to seek out scripture to find my way through. It's the only thing that will give me a root and a foundation. And so we developed a lot of people, the experience developed a lot of people and brought a lot of people to Christ, but none of those people would ever be welcome in a church. And they wouldn't be welcome in a church because they don't speak Christianese. What they speak is just a raw love of Jesus and a, a raw hatred for evil, which gets them in trouble in a normal church because people will cringe when they hear th certain words say and they plug their ears and they say things like, well, you cussed, you're going to hell. I don't think so because these are people that never grew up in the culture of the church, but they grew up in a moment in time where they learned the true love and power of Jesus and they witnessed the true darkness of evil in a way that many people have yet to even experience. The dark web is a labyrinth of hell, of things that you can find there that will leave you haunted forever unless you have Jesus with you. So we're at a, at a moment in time where of reflection 
of truly what is our commitment to Christ. I, I listened to this piece we just listened to a moment ago, and I'm, I'm humbled. I don't have chapters memorized. And we all struggle with time, it seems, for us to make time. These people are willing to go to jail for three years just to learn more about Scripture and, and the relationships in God and the relationships they have in Christ. And you have to reflect very deeply, each one of us, on what's it worth to you. Where are we at right now? What do you, what do you believe in so much you're willing to sacrifice everything to defend? Those words are profound when you listen to that piece and think about it. These people are willing to sacrifice everything because it's that important to them. God, family, country. Pretty powerful triad right there. And really has to, you have, each one needs to be doing a reflection. Each person needs to be doing a reflection. Where do you stand? What are you, what's your red line? Where are you going to be? And each one of us has to have the strength. Tonight, Scott Adams wrote an interesting piece. And I shouldn't say it's tonight. I, I, let me re, re, rephrase what I just said. I just read this tonight, so I don't know when he posted it, but it was a good one. It's recent. He says, the mask issue is going to get ugly unless the first corporation that bows to the government and requires masks gets taken down by its customers. We'll have to bankrupt a Fortune 500 company as an example just to get other just to get our freedom back. It's the only smart play. Focus all cannons on the first offender and take it down fast. We're in the middle of a war, and it's a vicious one. And it's a war where we can rise and show the world what it is truly to be believers, to be walking in the body of Christ. It means we have to be fearless. The amazing part is, is that we're going along here. We know that this time is coming. And so when I come across people that have not been preparing, I, I, unless they're just recently awakened, I'm really kind of stunned because there's no question that we are heading to a catalyst point. There's, it's, an impossible, it's impossible to be, be otherwise because when you have pure evil that's willing to butcher children, mutilate children, then the opposite of that of love does not mesh together. I think there's a, a misguided perception in churches of the idea of love, peace at any cost, as if love can solve all things. I agree that love can overcome much, but at the end of the day, love is at the center of our power, not just this, not just wishing that somebody will all give you a big hug and call it a day and be good and like, sorry, I didn't mean to rape that kid and cut his dick off. I'm, but I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm better now. I mean, we have to have some accountability in this and there is such a thing as pure evil. And this is really a time right now where we have to come to grips with the strengths of who we are. This is a noble position. God seeks to have his children Love, but love with the might of the sword. And so I gave this example the other day, and it's one I really wanted to hammer on here because I think it's worthy of reflecting on, primarily because God showed it to me. And when he did, it was so profound. It was just like I was stunned. 
It's the image of Christ standing before somebody. It could be yourself. It could be anybody else. But let's take somebody, whoever you wish to think about. Imagine somebody who has spent their life ladder climbing, someone who's dark in the, in the occult as a result. They may not have even seen it that way at the beginning. They were willing to do crazy things, be it rape children, be it rape somebody else, be it have sex with another man or another woman, do whatever was necessary for their, for their masters so that they could ladder climb to be higher up. And all of these things in their life between that and money accumulation and things and obsession of things and living an entirely artificial life, but being recognized by the public as a god, by the, and it's sort of a god anyway, as idolatry consumes their life and given the power that they receive from that, from the people who have such a weak stance in faith, they become revered and worshipped and so forth. And then I want you to imagine that this person, Hollywood's got a bunch of them there to think about pretty easily, politicians the same. And this person then is confronted with Jesus, not in an esoteric sense, but in a real sense, the presence of the living God. And I want you to just sit there and think about that for a minute, that as Jesus stands before them in this radiant and powerful, powerful, powerful love, that they are suddenly rocked to their core. They've never felt love like this. They've never felt a compassion of forgiveness like this. And they have to look now and look at the true sense of the darkness in which they were with an opportunity to step into something so full of light and love that it would be transformational. Not all of them will do it, but it will leave somebody completely transformed and changed. And at the end of the day, it's a, it is a massive, it's a form of merciful judgment or justice. And that sort of accountability is coming to many. There are some that are pure evil, but we have to take that authority stepping in that way. Not an authority to try to excuse, which is unfortunately what happens too often when we talk about love, but an authority to step in and understand that our authority is to bring the power of love and the, and the sword of the Spirit. But with that comes accountability, because accountability comes out of repentance. And there's no other way through this but to repent. And that in itself is transformational. And once that begins to happen, the power of the Holy Spirit takes over and we can sit back and watch that crazy train go for a little bit, which is a good one, by the way, as the demons go shaking out and go crazy. But we're a country right now that's in the midst of some very big changes and huge throws of power. And we don't really know who to trust other than Jesus and other than the communities and tribes in which we build. But our government has been shown in Lahaina that it's not to be trusted. And Lahaina continues to be one of those places that there's something greater going on there that we don't know. And they don't want us to know because I think it's worse than anybody had in mind. I want, you to, I want to read a headline tonight. This is from the Gateway Pundit just a little bit ago. In fact, it was posted at 7.55 p.m. I want you to hear this. Over 2,000 children missing from Lahaina Public Schools two weeks after the Maui fire. 2,000 children are still not around. 
and they're missing from public schools. And there's been these continued questions asking of where are the children? Where are the family members? And we're getting coroner reports out of there that they're finding them, but in the things like children wrapped around their dogs trying to protect them in the midst of the firestorm. These are houses that burn from the inside out, which means people. People burn from the inside out. Now, I don't know all of what happened here, and we don't know exactly the truth on the ground, but I do know that when you are literally two weeks past this, on an island where people have not been racing off the island, it's not like you're going to go swim to the big island. And it's not like you got a bunch of dinghies and rowboats taking people out of there. We're talking the missing 2,000 children. And the number they're giving the public is 104 or 106, depending on who you listen to, with 400 bodies now confirmed dead. My guess is that this atrocity is so bigger than anything we've ever imagined that that's what they're very concerned about, that this will be the powder keg that'll literally blow the lid off of their control, as it should be. And so while it's easy to be enraged by it, it's much more difficult to walk into a place of saying, Father, what does love look like in this place? And for one thing, there has to be love for those that have lost and for those that have been damaged. Because this has left a lot of deep scars, and these are deep spiritual scars. And when you have deep spiritual scars, those are wounds that the demons like to exploit. And that healing has to happen. There has to be a deliverance done here to protect Lahaina and its people. I think we'll get into that Saturday morning. Which reminds me while I'm thinking about it. Don't forget, Saturday morning or Saturday, we're calling for a global prayer for Lahaina. But we're going to launch it off at 7 a.m. Pacific time with our prayer Saturday, leading off with a major prayer to lead the day for Lahaina. And we'll end, we'll begin, and we'll end our prayer session with a prayer for Lahaina. Hoping that the rest of the world joins in as many as possible to pray for Lahaina. And what are we praying for? We're praying for the rescuing of the land and the people from the darkness. We're praying for the healing of the land and the people in this moment. And we're praying for the restoration of the land and the sacred tree and the children to be raised from the dead. And that just has to happen. We have to be persistent and consistent with this. This walk that we've been on here for quite a while has changed its tone and it's through the many twists and turns in which we've had. We've followed the insights of Q. We've fought against the mandates of the vax and the mask. We've suffered through the loss, the expectation of justice or, or moral, found moral rightness, if you will, of elections and watched that turned into a complete clown show. We've endured this January 6th thing with over and over with that sort of bit. We found ourselves in the throes of emotions of hatred and anger. We've dealt with the stories of the FBI. And at the end of the day, we've arriving 
we continue to arrive at a deeper understanding of love and the power of it for healing. And yet we still haven't suffered to the level of that story of the Chinese. There is a humbling moment for a nation now. It has to be. It's a humbling moment that we have to start digging in and reflecting very deeply on who we are. And in this hour, in this hour that we're in, that can't be something that you sit quietly with in the house and just hope that this storm blows over. I'm not going to be in the place where I would go before God and he would say, what did you do? And I could say, nothing. And it's difficult, I think, in our lives when we look around with all the busyness that's going on and wondering where we're going to go, what we're going to do, who we're going to speak to, how we're going to influence things, and we miss and underestimate, at least, the power of one. The power of touching one heart, one person, and awaking them. And to realize how important that is in the overall picture. We are a society right now that is well under siege. It's been a society that won't be fixed immediately. We have moral bankruptcy running at all sides. And unfortunately, it's going to require us to do some things over time that will not be easy at all. And I, I can't say that these are easy answers. But it will demand that we take hard stands. And we have to get comfortable with that. And there's many, many issues that we have to unravel. Our children are being sexualized at a very early age. By the age 12, it's something like, something incredible. Like 40% of children by the age 12 have tried anal sex. This is a reflection of something so dark and so deep in our culture that it is definitely not going to go away with whatever change is happening unless those that are truly walking with Jesus start to make a stand and be the people that flip tables. It's great to hear the stories of those that are out here fighting, but it, that fight has to be every single one of us. And it has to be every single engagement. Every opportunity we engage with somebody, it needs to be a blessing that we can close a conversation. And every, every one place we go, we should be praying for people as a matter of course. Whether it's the clerk at the, at the checkout, whether it's the gas station attendant, whether it's the random guy in the street. But right now, more than ever, we have to lead with the values in which we have. The last resort to any fight is the sword of steel. And that goes to true with even combat. When you set up a, a, a zone that you're getting ready to go to war in, you have several phases of war, and I'm not going to do them exactly correctly, but I'll give you kind of an idea of the scope of it, starting with phase zero. And it's called shaping. Early phases are called shaping. And these early phases of shaping is when you're literally sending in civil affairs teams to do the assessment of where the enemy is, provide medical support, provide well building, provide bridge building, start establishing an information base so you can start communicating with people, exposing the lies to bring them the truth. Little by little, you start to bring in your, your special operations teams, mainly special forces, 
They start to work and engage with the community. They start to build relationships. They start to identify people to work with them. Little by little, that becomes small little local militias that are protecting the community as they build that into an army and eventually they topple the government. But that first phase is what's so important in the, phasing, in the shaping phase. There's information out here now all over that is available for everybody to hear. The question is, are we going to take the time to point them to the truth? And the more that we do that, the more that these people that are still asleep are shaped to being awake. Part of the shaping phase is to open their eyes to what's really going on. Some of that takes an attitudinal shift of demonstrating authority to people that are not used to you being authoritative. See, one of the things that we've done very unfortunately, especially over the last Trump era, is that we have we've changed our demeanor, especially in families, because we're afraid of causing a rift or having an argument with somebody else. But there's ways to change your demeanor to be authoritative and draw a line without having to provoke them. But we have to speak truth, and truth is authoritative. And truth is directive, and truth tends to cut deep when people don't want to hear. But it's important. And the foundation which we are on when we walk with Christ is that we are to be speaking truth. And so we have to get past this pandering of trying to avoid conflict, pandering of trying to keep things just status quo so we don't have to worry about it. What we have to understand is this is a war for the saving of humanity. And we've been chosen for this hour. Whether you like it or not is not my concern. You're here in this time and this place for a reason. And that might mean some suffering and some pain. But Christ died for our sins and went through an enormous amount of suffering and pain that we can't even comprehend for us to be set free in the spiritual, our responsibility is to bring that into the physical. We have, as we sit and we try to pander around what we're trying to do, we're trying to figure out if we have the courage to stand up. We, have to, we are trying to figure out how to do this or how to do that. There's children out there that are being raped. There's children that are being used in mines, like in Congo, to mine coltan so we can have a phone. There's people that are being abused and tortured, and they're somewhere deep in their mind, especially if they're young, there's going to be something asking, will someone save me? It's never going to happen if we don't have the courage to stand up now. And this is the problem, I think, with a lot of these bigger issues is people tend to deflect away. It's kind of like this. Well, yeah, I want to be the guy that goes in and save the kids, but if I can't do that, it's not really that exciting to me. Our position of how we act on a daily basis creates a ripple effect. And if you have 100,000, you have a million, you have 10 million people that are finally saying, no, not going to happen. This is the way it is. This is the moral way we walk. This is the way Christ walks. That's an earthquake. And that then shakes up supply chain systems of human trafficking, which disrupts things, which starts to bring kids to another level as we start to identify the problem, shake it out, and move after it. So much of this phase, which links back to what we've talked about at length, which is Operation Vineyard, deals with us right now. Us claiming the authority, stepping into the authorities, and having 
the belief in the authorities, then we can change things. But most of all, not bearing it all, not trying to bend or, or bow. And while it's easy to work with problems outside the family, many of these problems have to be dealt with inside the family. How we behave and how we walk the truth. Are we going to constantly compromise or are we going to speak just plainly the truth and trust in the Lord to guide us? Are we going to be timid and afraid to speak out or are we going to speak out knowing that the God, and God's guiding our voice? And in the coming months, it's going to be necessary to do that. It's easy to console, but it's a much greater thing to console with truth. It's easy to give somebody a, a bit of pandering so that they don't get triggered, but it's a much different thing to force them to face truth. And you can do that with politeness. It's what my dad used to call the velvet-covered mallet. It's a wonderful analogy. No matter how they come out of that conversation, we're not trying to be brutal, but they will be changed, and they'll be left with a, a memory of that conversation that will chew on their subconscious for a long time. But our society's broken. And we've seen the levels of technologies and the things that we're doing right now that are all wrong. We can't have an electric car. You can't have a, a cell phone without children mining cobalt in Congo. It, those two go hand in hand. You can't have solar panels without having the risk of having to dispose them, and they're more toxic than nuclear waste. You can't have a car without having tires, and tires amount to one of the biggest wastes in the world. And if you recall, we talked about some time ago, burning they burned something like 40 million tires in Dubai. It let off more pollutants than any in all the gains made in the last 15 or 20 years, which would to reduce carbon emissions, were if you believe in that stuff, were undone with a single burn. This is our world. And as we step into this new place of authority, I should just say new to us because it's been suppressed, we have to step into a place of accountability. We can't have one without the other. And our accountability is to God, not to anybody else. But if we're going to be in a place where we're truly going to say we are going to walk as the children of the Most High, that means we're also being accountable for what we consume, what we do, how we act, what we say. Words have the power of life and death, so do actions in this world. And that means change of behaviors, changing things different, to do things differently. Because at the end of the day, what looms over us is the fate of humanity. And what this evil is trying to do is to compromise us so severely, weaken us so significantly, demoralize us so powerfully, that rather than doing the right thing, we choose silence. And in the process, God's children are destroyed and the authorities he gave to us diminish and the light goes out. All of that rests on our shoulders. The choice to win through him or the choice to walk in enslavement with Satan. That's it. It's not difficult, but it requires us to put our eyes on Christ in a big way and begin by leaning into the fact that we do have the authorities. All of creation awaits for the awakening of the sons of God. Romans 8, 19. And it's waiting 
for us to step into that place and to raise our hands up in love, but such a powerful might of love that the evil isn't only cast out, it's destroyed. And from that comes the amazing awakening and freeing of the many people. So be bold. Be fearless. Step into the authorities. If someone thinks you're crazy, big deal. Could care less. And listen to the Lord and let him guide you. Let his voice open your eyes to the things that need to be done. Let his wisdom guide you in each and every step where he wants you to be. Because this hour is now coming upon us. It's a significant time. It's a wonderful time to be alive, but it's a significant time. And in the end, the most glorious part is we're part of the victory. We're not just sidelined. And if ever this gets to a place where you wonder, doubt, question, the only thing any of us should have to do is just think about those children whose voices are screaming out in the darkness for somebody just to give them hope. Our actions shape a world. How we live shapes a world. And we can move mountains from here to there. And one of those mountains is to free the little ones, to heal them, and to restore this world. Let's pray. Father, very humble tonight as we come before you. And we thank you for all that you give and the blessings that you shower upon us. Father, we, these are deeply reflective moments now as we start to head into a, a greater step, a storm that's on the horizon. Whether we like it or not, it's there. And there's only so long that those storm clouds can sit there before crashing into the, crashing into the land. And so as we sit in this moment, Father, we place ourselves before you humbly. And we just ask for forgiveness for sins we've known and sins unknown. But the clarity to understand what it is that we've done to give us wisdom so that we don't do it again. And equally, Father, as we walk in this place, we have prayers now that to take the responsibility to see and understand the great objective that as we live in the world, we shape the world. What we do in life echoes into eternity. And if we're not taking a strong stand, many different ways that we can to bring truth to power. The little ones, and there are many, voices who can't be heard. The little ones, and there are many, screaming out for hope or a savior while they suffer in pain and in the darkness. Our actions of how we command the authority of the kingdom in this world as the children of the Most High do transform this world. And so, Father, we pray for that understanding to settle on each person's heart, that every action at the end, if we walk with Christ, has a positive outcome in transforming this world. Guide us in these hours, Father. Bless us. We say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. So, 
we can change the world through the way that we walk, believe, pray, and command the authorities of heaven. And we will do it together each day. We also have to do it individually in our own lives. And it's not just an hour of time. It's all day. The conversations with God should be ongoing. But we are significant. God trusts us for good reason. We're not unworthy. We're just growing. And he's helping us grow. And the more that we lean into that beautiful image, the more that we realize that we really can do greater things than he. Because that's how we're made. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow evening. For Bards FM, we're having Cam Hamilton on. He's a Navy SEAL running for office in Virginia. And tomorrow afternoon, you're going to get Duncan for bending knee. Until then or until the next time, God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. Oh, I want to feel something. I just want to breathe.